When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to another episode of Zero Ducks Given. It is episode 10 if you're counting. Uh, not that it's really important, but it's episode 10 if you're counting. It is a cricket podcast and I am joined once again by the inimitable Mr. Daniel Norcross and ex-England cricketing legend Mr. Stephen Finn as well. Uh, for a non-England-based podcast, England uh, not playing at all this week if you're listening live and also... Uh, Nothing interesting to report on the England front as well. Ever since Joffrey Archer injured himself on a fish tank, it's all been very, very quiet. Uh, we will look at the South Africa and Pakistan brilliant ODI series that is taking place at the moment and uh, a bit of cricket shithousery going on there. We'll look ahead to the start of the IPL and the county championship, believe it or not, starts this week, despite the fact that it was snowing across parts of the UK this week. And very excited to say we are joined by the one and only Sarah Taylor, she is going to be popping in on the podcast a bit later on as well. But uh, first of all, Stephen Finn, a belated happy birthday to you, sir. Mm-hmm. How was it? Because you were in that sort of um, that sort of horrible sweet spot where both your birthdays were were quite restricted and quite lockdowny. How was it? He's, he's older than two years old. <laughs> he's, had, he's had plenty of good ones before. Sorry, both your COVID birthdays, I should say. That's right. A couple of COVID birthdays. No, nothing raucous to report whatsoever, unfortunately. Obviously, usually I'd be out all weekend bender, something like that. But yeah. uh, but this year, it's just very cup of tea, pack of biscuits, treat yourself and um, and sit indoors. So yeah, it's, it's been slightly strange having a couple of birthdays in the lockdown. But yeah, I managed to stuff my face with chocolate with it being Easter Sunday as well when it was my birthday. So I can sort of excuse eating all my Easter eggs on my birthday as a, as a dual party. You've got, some, you've got some serious people who share your birthday, Finn. Yeah, I mean, it's a wonderful list. Dan, please regale yeah. us with some of these names. Well, I, I sent it through to me on WhatsApp. I didn't get a reply. But, I mean, the, the first and foremost, Jonathan Agney. Mm. And I, I had to send Agnes, uh, well, I didn't have to, but I did. I sent him a happy birthday message on his birthday as well. And uh, he tells me that Finney always sends him a message first thing every year. So that was something I didn't know. There we um, go. Uh, other cricketers include the great all-rounder, Bapu Nadkarni, beautiful name. Paul Downton, the man who had a bail that went into his eye that ended his career. But didn't that, that happen to Mark Boucher as it well? Did, didn't it? Yeah, they did, yeah. Dangerous well, thing, these bails. Well, keepers, don't stand up, is what I say. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, and the great Charlie Hallows. But I think among my favourites, you know, there's some great actors in there. Peter Vaughan, who was in Game of Thrones in Porridge, lovely bloke. Robert Downey Jr., Paul Parker, Graham Norton, David Blaine. But the one that really sort of sticks out for me, apart from Admiral Yamamoto, who started the Pearl Harbour crisis, which is something that I think is very finny. It's got finny written all over it. What, the Pearl Harbour attack has finny written all over it? Yeah, you know, it's a bit sly. It's a bit, you know, (laughs) 
bit you know sneaky. I mean? yeah, yeah, he just just whips his arm over that little bit harder once or twice. Just yeah, to yeah. Get it the up intentional no ball so that he bowls from twenty yards. That's it. Very Admiral Yamamoto. I think everyone would agree. <laughs> but it was Dave Hill from Slade that convinced me that astrology is a real science because, I mean, looking at it now as I am doing on Zoom. The similarities are just extraordinary, aren't they? Yeah. I, mean, I wish I know who this person was, but... Well, go and have a Google. You must remember, yeah. do they know it's Christmas? Oh, no, there that's you go. I, 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 I wish got... it could be Christmas every oh, day. That's all. <laughs> how do I... I'm trying to get a photo up for Finney. There, there he go. is. There you are, Finney. Oh, it's uncanny, isn't it? That's Dave Hill from Slade. <laughs> I mean, yeah, that's a, that's quite a recent photo of Dave Hill. When he was in his prime. Yes. What do you do? You buy into uh, all this star sign stuff, Finny? I, I, I'm a Scorpio. I've got no idea what that's meant to mean, how I'm meant to behave. But uh, I think it's all a load of bollocks. But uh, I'm sure there'll be people listening to this who get quite offended by that. Are you into all that stuff, Finny? No, no, I'm not really. I just know that apparently I'm a. I think I'm a fire sign, so it must mean that I get pissed off easily, which oh, um, well. it goes hand in hand with being a fast bowler, I suppose. Maybe there is some truth. Cr- in- cricketers, though, cricketers are quite superstitious. So, I mean, are there any astrologers out there? You know, do you find yourself bowling to Chris Nash and he goes, "Yeah, that's exactly what I'd expect from an Aries." <laughs> <laughs> it's not what we tend to go through. We got. We're preparing for the Somerset game tomorrow morning um, at Lords, our first championship game of the summer. And we'll have a team meeting. And yeah, after we've gone through their technique and where they score their runs, I don't think we'll be visiting what star sign they are. <laughs> right, yeah. Put a gully in for him. He's a Capricorn. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, let's move on to cricket then. Anyway, happy birthday, Finney, but let's move on to cricket. South Africa versus Pakistan. What a couple of ODIs it has been. The first game went down to the final ball. And uh, the second game, Pakistan chasing 342, were absolutely dead and buried. But uh, Fakhar Zaman, unbelievable innings, finished on 193. But the big talking point on social media was Quinton de Kock being a cock, basically. A bit of cricket shithousery. So if you haven't seen this video going around, what happened was the ball got hit out to the fielder. It was hurled back in to Quinton de Kock. Quinton de Kock did the old thing that you only ever really see in sort of Sunday league cricket. And I've never really seen international level. Quinton de Kock stood behind the stumps. He gestured towards the bowler's end as if the ball was going that way so that the Pakistan batsman relaxed, didn't really ground his bat properly, uh, whipped the bails off and he was run out. What did we make of it? Stephen Finn, really poor form, unsportsmanlike, cheating, Quite funny, quite entertaining. Uh, you know, Pakistani batsmen should have paid more attention. What do you reckon? I think a combination of all the above. I mean, it was quite funny. <laughs> I mean, seeing seeing him flounder to get to the line after being tricked like that. But, I mean, if we're talking about, I think we were talking about the spirit of cricket last week or the week before, weren't we? Then it um, it might not quite fit into the, uh, the sportsman-like behaviour category i mean i've never seen someone do it and be run out before i've seen someone i think johnny bairstow did it to steve smith in an ashes game where he pretended to catch the ball and smith had dived for his ground and had to change his shirt and his both his gloves i think and was pretty (laughs) pissed off about it um once he got up from diving in and, and bairstow was chuckling to himself but i've never actually seen someone get run out by it before so so yeah i 
slightly surprised the uh, the appeal was upheld i suppose um but but yeah relatively funny watching it as well yeah especially as the game was was dead and buried more or less at that point i mean they needed a serious amount of runs of the final over uh, one thing that wasn't really mentioned and got lost in it all was that uh, it was the direct hit markram's throw was 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 unbelievably good direct hit from about 80 yards what did you make of it daniel as a sort of conniving scumbag that you are <laughs> i'd imagine it was quite up your street mate well, it was not just all up my street. I think it was within the laws. I really do. There's been a lot of talk about Law 41.5. So let's be clear about it. The law says it is unfair for any fielder willfully to attempt by word or action to distract, deceive or obstruct either batsman after a striker has received the ball. Now, you could argue, I think it would have been fair for the umpires to argue that that's what Ducock did, but it wouldn't really be true. And, and also, it would be incredibly difficult to apply this to other parts of cricket because all the time people on the field are gesturing and waving their arms in places. All the time we shout things to fielders like that they, they're turning for a third to a fielder when they're not. There's all sorts of stuff that goes on. The real deceit, the purpose of the rule to bring in deceitful fielding was to prevent people from pretending they had the ball and throwing it, which really does confuse a batsman and Finney's mentioned a couple of examples there where the wicketkeeper has deceived the runner but all he's actually done is got the runner to die so he just made them look a bit silly he's not gained any kind of advantage which is why they weren't penalised the issue here is that had the umpires interpreted that as fake fielding then there would have been five penalty runs that have scored two runs for the runs and the ball would have been dead which would have been a nightmare for the scorer because it would have meant that somebody just suddenly scored two runs of a ball that didn't exist for a kickoff. <laughs> so there was, they would have made seven runs out of that and the target would then have come down to 24. But, I mean, what kind of prissy nonsense are we getting to when the cop pointing at the other end would result in a penalty when Pakasa man just has to run? He, he does, he's not being deceived about where the ball is. The ball is in Mark Crum's hands. He just didn't bother to clock it. He then slowed down. I mean, all of this is fuckers a man's fault. The fact that it's fuckers a man and de Kock involved in it makes it unbelievably brilliant and therefore <laughs> cubes it, quadruples it, whatever you want to do with it. But there's, uh, there's no way to me that what the umpire's conclusion was necessarily a bad one. I could have understood it if they'd done, gone another way. But to me, they made a perfectly reasonable decision. And I don't think that fake fielding law was brought in for that. It wasn't brought in for some dozy idiot to, to not running. I mean, it, it, you look at how he ran that second run. He didn't need to dawdle. Well, it's fair a play to man. He didn't really complain about what the cock had done. He just thought that he'd been an idiot. Which, which kind of supports your point there, Dan. And you're not going to tell me that you... Look, if your wicketkeeper did that on a Sunday, you're not going to tell me that you wouldn't give him a massive high five and buy him a pint after. Yeah. Because that is like spot... That's what the, that's what we're supposed to be doing in cricket. It, caveat emptor, you know. Like, someone can someone could play a switch here. They can suddenly turn their hands around and become a left-hander. We don't go mad about that. I mean, maybe we should do. There's all sorts of things you do on a cricket field that are a little bit deceitful. What's the bloody googly for a kickoff? <laughs> <laughs> well I, I do know what you mean i am surprised that they upheld the decision and, and kept the appeal there was a 
Were you playing in the one day game? Paul Collingwood rescind, uh, Paul Collingwood. The Grant Elliott. Yeah, appealed against New Zealand. What, what was and then um and well, then he got in his way. Yeah, he got he got massive in his way at the Oval, I think it was. Yeah, and then the umpires came to Collingwood and said, "Do you want to up your your appeal?" And Collingwood went, "Yeah, I do." Yeah, and there was uproar about the the unsportsmanlike behaviour of that. So uh, one of the few times I've ever seen Kiwis get angry, I think that day. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I've never seen Brendan McCullum angry before, and, and I think he was very very angry that day. Yeah, they were I think he had a right to be on that day. On that day, he said, "I think that is." I think that was shithousery, but I don't think, I think all that Decock did was have a bit of fun. And, you know, he could never have imagined that the ball was going to fly into the stumps. I mean, that was just... I mean, that's you know. the thing. The direct hit was the killer at the end of the day. If he doesn't direct hit, then then he would have made his ground. Um, well, do you know what? Uh, it did give social media a laugh and it gave us 10 minutes to talk about the start of our podcast. So, uh, so it's not all bad, I suppose. Um, let's move on to the start of the county season. You can barely believe it. I, I don't know about you, Finney, because for my very, very considerably lower standard of cricket, I had my net session on Wednesday, my first proper team session on Wednesday. And we were just looking at each other going, I've never felt less like there's a cricket season on the way in my life. But I think because of COVID and lockdown and stuff like that, uh, and it was freezing cold on Wednesday as well when we were training. And then it snowed in parts of the UK this week. Does it feel surreal that there's a county season on the way? Or because you've been outside training in these tents, do you all feel quite ready for it to, to get underway? Yeah, I mean, I, I think you probably feel slightly underprepared because a lot of the guys who just play county cricket and don't go away and play in tournaments and stuff have actually not not really played a significant amount of cricket for 18 months now. So... Um, so it means that guys who are used to playing and playing and getting their rhythm through playing and batsmen who are used to scoring runs through just playing, it hasn't happened. So um, I suppose in that regard, it's a little bit alien and there's not been the customary pre-season tours abroad where you go away and you're guaranteed good weather to be able to practice for long sessions for, for a prolonged period of time. So we've been slightly hamstrung by those. But in terms of the facilities that we've had available um, and the amount of practice that we've actually got in, I think it's been a relatively normal pre-season in terms of that, just with a slightly different feel around it um, because we're still social distancing. We're still only training in smaller groups. You have to go to the gym in ones and twos. Like it, You haven't got that feeling of a pre-season. Usually you would usually, everyone's there together all the time and you're building that camaraderie but in times like this it actually makes it a lot harder to build that um, so I think as we get into the season and the games start that's when that momentum will build up and that's when it will start feeling a bit more normal. Is there a huge opportunity at the start of the season because every team is going to feel like they're coming into it a little bit cold if you can just hit the ground running and just be 10% more prepared than everybody else like mentally I guess more than anything there's a great chance to sneak a few wins in there whilst everybody else is playing catch-up, isn't there? Yeah, and, and again, I think we've actually been very fortunate that we've had a tent to be able to train in for the last month or so. So Yorkshire came down and played us in a pre-season game last week, or the week before, sorry, and none of their batsmen had had a hit outside and none of their bowlers had had a bowl outside this year because of the weather and their lack of a tent up there, whereas we'd been practising on grass for, for quite a while, for a month or so before we got into that game. So there were definitely advantages of that. I mean, you don't forget how to play cricket overnight. It's more just the, 
the feeling in your body and in your legs of being out there for and doing it on grass because it does feel that slight bit different. But I don't. I think that momentum in county cricket is is such a big thing because you play so many games in such a short period of time. We have eight four day games in eight weeks here over the next two months, and it's going to be an opportunity that if you do hit the ground running to build momentum and get in the habit of winning, which I think that the good teams over the last few years, your Somersets, who who we actually start against on Thursday, Essex, those guys build momentum and it's like a freight train that you can't stop once it gets going. The Cat Championship is obviously different this year with, I say this year, the Bob Willis Trophy last year, but the three teams that went up in 2019 aren't going up, so to speak, to the first division and Nottinghamshire aren't going down to the second division. We've got three not regional groups, sort of seeded groups, really, which means that any side can win the county championship. I mean this only slightly in jest as a Surrey fan, but that is a bonus for Middlesex. They start a season in which they can win the county championship. Is that something that actually is a big boost to to teams, perhaps, that, you know, we're going to be in the old second division? Does that Do they notice that? Do they feel that? Are you guys talking about that? Yeah, there's definitely a sense of optimism that if you can get on a roll as a team, that you're going to have the opportunity to potentially play in that Bob Willis final and get into the first division for, um, I think someone dubbed it Super September a few days ago, didn't they? So you've got the chance to... Anthony McGrath. um, Yeah, Anthony McGrath, yeah. So you've got the opportunity to get in the hunt for that. So I think there's a number of reasons why I think it's a good thing. I think that gone, hopefully, if the format stays like this, you won't see so many players moving to first division counties or perceived first division counties, you're still going to have your stronger counties, but I think it will incentivize smaller counties to really try and build competitive teams that can get into, into that first division to challenge in those final few weeks of the season. Um, I see that as a benefit. Um, Hopefully the games will retain some meaning further into the season, because I think you can get two thirds of the way through the division two season and, there's just nothing to play for. You're not really playing for seeding points. You're not playing for anything like that for the following year. And this year, this format does do that. So, um, yeah, I mean, I'm slightly biased because we would have been in the second division and wouldn't have had the opportunity to be able to win the county championship. So I'm obviously going to favour this. It would be interesting to speak to someone who would be in the first division, whether they're happy with teams like us having the opportunity to win it and whether we deserve that. But... Uh, to be quite frank, I don't care. <laughs> we can win the championship. <laughs> um, I, I think we need to we need to talk to Finney about we need to set him some personal targets for this season, don't we, Dan? And and suss out what what we want from Finney. Um, yeah. Go on, Finney, Finney. How many games are you expecting to play? If, if all goes well, how how? Because obviously there's going to be a bit of rest and rotation, so that we have an idea in our head of numbers that I'd like you to target. Well, I think we should talk about batting numbers personally. I'm not really okay. interested in. bowling numbers because hopefully they'll look after themselves but I'm happy for you to give me some um, some batting targets I mean uh, how many championship games are there's 14 aren't there I think 15 if you make the final is that right so I think realistically with the strength of bowlers that we have I mean I'm hoping to be in contention for for the four-day cricket more so than I was last year um, because I feel in a better place with my game uh, than I was last year and I think that that's showing through in practice. So hopefully there will be opportunities there for me. So um, I think 
if I played half the games, maybe I think that that, that would be a good place to start. So say seven of the 14 would be okay. something that I'm well, targeting. Now, now assuming that Middlesex get bowled out every time, because let's face it, they're not a very yeah, strong yeah, team yeah. and they're in a they're in a tricky league and they're up against some massive size like Surrey and Somerset. So well Finney's on 551 first class wickets. So if you could take 49 wickets, mate, in uh in, in this season, that's that's, that's the big that's, round. I'll be getting a call up for England if I do that. <laughs> in, in seven games that's such a, I, I, I genuinely think that he's batting I think he's right about batting stats because I think you'll probably if you play seven games about 14 times for Middlesex what about uh, 10, 10 sixes I'm 10. happy to try and hit 10 sixes okay that's good well I'm looking Ooh. now you, you've only got seven in your first class career so you're going to have to go some Finney alright maybe <laughs> maybe um, maybe I'll lower my expectations there. What's, his, what's his current average what's his current average Dave? so he's got, currently got a back average of 9.81 so I want to see you finish the season with, with double figures yeah, I'm happy with that. 100, 170 runs, I think, is a reasonable okay. target. With seven sixes. 170 runs. Yeah, we want you to sixes. double your, yeah. your total sixes, which is currently seven. So if you can hit seven sixes and get your batting average to 10 this season. And obviously, we want to see 150. You've got two first-class 50s. We want 150s. Happy with that. What What should we... What, what are we... We need to dangle... A carrot in front of him, Norcross. Well, above and beyond honour, adulation, and um, proving us wrong. That's all I've played cricket for for the last eighteen years. Really, the um, the the admiration of people. That's it. Well, what does he? What does he? What does he? You know, what do you really want for? I mean, a good haircut, obviously. <laughs> do those at home now. Quite happy with mine. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know. You know <laughs> please. Yeah, what, you what, what's what's <laughs> missing in Stephen Finn's life when you look around? Yeah. What what could you, what what could me and Dan provide that is a Blu-ray of, of the Sweeney film uh, and the well Sweeney I'm still team. waiting for my birthday present from you both yeah that's yeah yeah well the Royal Mail's in all sorts of trouble at the minute yeah exactly. COVID you know, there's a pandemic COVID. On, mate. yeah know, have a on. heart there's a pandemic <laughs> on mate come on I'm trying to think I'm looking around at my bookshelf here to see what I don't have on it well I could sign the book I edited for you if you like I mean it's a very very valuable piece. <laughs> Oh, look at your but yeah, your shelves are quite empty, aren't they? Yeah, there's not many player of the season trophies, is there? There's only one of those actually. <laughs> <laughs> there's only one, but there are three Ashes winners medals up there. So yeah, I'll give you that. Yeah, if I've mentioned right. that before, it's quite good. Yeah, that is quite good. I'll, I'll give you that. I'll give you that. Well, I'll tell you what. We'll, we'll go to the pub at the end of the season, and uh, and if you if you hit seven sixes, uh, then then half what, proper the drinks, champagne, proper champagne. Yeah. Yeah, we'll get you a posh bottle of champagne for seven sixes and we'll get you another posh bottle of champagne if you, you finish with a batting average of 10. But in exchange, if you fail either of these, then you have to get the posh champagne, okay? And that is coming yeah. out of the advertising budget, yeah? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. We'll, take that pet, we'll take it out of petty cash. <laughs> <laughs> we've, we've, none of us have been paid for doing this podcast yet. We're all going to be out of pocket by the time we get to September. Most expensive thing, foray of my life moving into this. Uh, well, I'm looking forward to that. It's um, it is genuinely going to be great following the Middlesex scorecard religiously every week. Now it's going to be like I've got a fantasy football team, except it's only Stephen Finn. I'm just going to be fascinated. I'm just going to be watching eleven Stephen Finns every week, praying that I don't hit sixes and don't get any runs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, I'll, I'll set up a separate WhatsApp group, Dan, just you and me, mate, and we can we can talk on the sly about whether Finney's. Well, we just we just need Adam Live to bowl at him. Well, I always set up a GoFundMe page. You never know. I mean, there's there's a there's always ways, aren't there? These days, 
That's true. I mean, oh, I maybe, think we're in for about 70 quid here, so I think we could probably... Maybe we should go away this week and have a think. There could be some sort of charity angle, Dan. We could perhaps donate some money to, to the Lord's Taverners, depending on Finney's six-hitting prowess. We'll, uh, we'll, we'll chat about this in the week. Um, now, as the county cricket season approaches, Daniel, we, we didn't have time for this last week, but uh, Daniel has, yeah. uh, has a theory, a thesis, if you like, and he compares waiting for cricket season to come round to the culmination of the Second World War. Daniel, I, I don't really know anything about this, but, but you've been desperate to get yeah. it off your chest. So please wow. tell me what the hell's going on here. Well, it's, it's all right. I mean, to, to cut a, a long six-year story of, of human tragedy short, essentially, it occurred to me one day, because as a cricket commentator, especially when working for the BBC, often when you find yourself entirely at a loose end from the beginning of October until April, unless, you know, good fortune comes your way. And, uh, and I realised that there were six months of the year that we loosely call the off-season which is a thing that I despise uh, beyond anything in the world. There's, there's nothing worse than it. There's, you're constantly filled with beseechments from your beloved to go for a walk or enjoy the autumn leaves falling or embrace a warm fire. Uh, but there's, there's no, no pleasure to be had from the off-season at all. It's six months of lonely misery and darkness. And uh, it occurred to me that, oddly enough, the greatest single tragedy to befall mankind has a lot in common with the off-season. I mean, there are six years of it instead of six months, the Second World War. A lot of people are very into the Second World War. It's a very important thing for a lot of people. There like, is uh, a huge cricket history Venn diagram. There is. Headley I don't Charity. know why. I don't know if it's because we're, we're all saddos that like pouring over old scorecards or something, but there is... Like, I'm a history student from university, and I feel, I feel like a lot of my cricket team was doing history at university as well. It's a big Venn diagram there. Yeah. Oh, well, absolutely, because, because history and cricket, they go hand in hand, because cricket's been going on so long, it's almost as, well, it is older than the United States of America. And they think that all of history began in 1776. So obviously, we've got a kind of history thing going on. You're absolutely right. And so I thought one year equals one month of the off-season. So... As I thought about it, I realised that the parallels were extraordinary. So at the beginning of October, what you do is you imagine yourself at the beginning of September 1939. And all of October is the beginning of September 39 to the end of August 1940. One year of the war, one month of the off-season. And the parallels are extraordinary. So in October, when you start October, it's a phony war, isn't it? Nothing's really happening. You know, it's still quite warm. It's still quite light. The clocks haven't gone back. You know there's no cricket. It's obviously you're lacking something, but it could be a lot worse. And that's basically what happened in the Second World War. I should Absolutely. point out this is from a very British perspective, I take it, because I think well, Poland had a bit of a bad time in 1939. Yeah, they don't play cricket, Tobes. They don't play cricket. You know, I, 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 this, is, this, is very, this is very cricket-centric Second Got you. World Got War you. analogy. Yeah. Got you. And the Australians, for example, I mean, they exactly the same thing's happening over there. Nothing much. Mm. Only over here, we're carting kids off to Shropshire in the anticipation of a few bombs and, and making posters. And then the clocks go back. Clocks go back on the 22nd of November uh, of October, roughly, towards the end of October, 24th, 25th of October. And if you allow 11.81 days per month for each for each bit of the, each day of the month of October, because you've got one month to one year, right? In October, when the clocks go back, that's when all hell breaks loose. 
we lose our army in Dunkirk. Yeah. Everything goes to shit. Right. And then it got me realising that's when the war really starts, when the clocks go back and suddenly it's 4.15. And then there's all sorts of weird parallels that turn up. So like the real Pearl Harbour that, you know, Finney was responsible for, yeah, Yamamoto, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, takes place on the 7th of December in, in real time, 1941. And of course, in our world, that actually happens on the 8th of December, 19, 8th of December, any year that you're in, 8th of December, which is the earliest sunset the darkest day. What did they call Pearl Harbor? They called it the darkest day. It gets crazier. You know, once you get once you get to Christmas Day, that's the day that the British never retreat from a position again after losing Tobruk. Never again will they retreat. And on Christmas Day, that's the day we never retreat. We've carted the family off. They're gone. We hunker down. It's going to be tough. It's going to be tricky. But we know we're going to get through it. The days are getting slightly longer. The siege of Stalingrad ends on the first day in my timeline, the 8th of January, when sunrise happens before eight in the morning. It's, it's a great moment of release. And to, to cap it all, because this is where we're at now, because you'll find many parallels in between there and then. VE Day. VE Day takes place when the clocks go forward, roughly 25th of March or so. VJ Day the 31st of March, and then you're free. Then you're into April. And right. yeah, you've, you've got the Nuremberg trials. You know, there's not a lot happening the first eight days in April. And that's, you know, when we're rounding up Nazis. But the war is won. And the county championship season starts. It's early 1946. There's a bit of rationing because it's freezing cold on the 8th of April. I know I'm getting really torturous with this metaphor now. No, I'm fine, I'm fine with it. But, but essentially... You can use this every year. And the reason I came up with it is because every year we've got to go through this. Every year we've got six months off season. We've got six years of the Second World War to help you get through it. Think of the Blitz, right? The Blitz happens roughly November the 5th in 1940. So when you hear the fireworks going off, those are basically Nazi bombers. <laughs> all that's over really, London that's really taken the gloss off any future firework display that I go Fox to that. <laughs> yeah yeah uh, maybe it's that's why blitz. dogs maybe that's why dogs are terrified because they say that animals sense these things more than humans yeah. and uh, and just poor Labradors have flashbacks of the Nazi invasion of Britain many 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 decades <laughs> before and what's staggering in all of this is is just how much spare time you have on your hands it's 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 I've never known anyone mm. less busy than Daniel Norcross. And, I'm not a bit. I'm not a busy man, Toby. No, no I mean, I, <laughs> I, I, when I when I gave up my career of, of earning money uh, in the city back when I was 40 and decided to become a cricket commentator, it was with the express intent of stopping being busy. Well, you've absolutely nailed that. You've, <laughs> you've achieved you've achieved that goal within those months. Genuinely, Finney, like when do you start having one eye? on the season coming up, like in September, October, are you sort of going, I've earned a rest here. You know, we've just had a full cricket season. November, if you're still not doing anything, do you start, is there a point where a guilt kicks in at all? Um, no. <laughs> I, I've had a slightly, slightly funny experience of winters really, because for, I think seven or eight years, I was on every England tour. So I didn't really have the concept of winter. All my mates would be back here, freezing their nuts off and I'd be off in sunny places all around the world playing for England. So I was very fortunate with that. And then 
the only winters that I've spent at home or, or all the winters that I've spent at home since then, the first two I had knee surgeries in. So I don't associate winter with too kind of place because I'm hobbling around on crutches um, for the first couple of months of the winter, feeling sorry for myself, which every good self-respecting fast bowler does feel sorry for himself. Every self-respecting man. Yep. Fair enough. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, but yeah, it's, it's funny because the October, you just recharge, like you let your hair down, you, you do whatever you can to just get away from cricket because it can be a slog sometimes the six months of the summer, however much we love it. Mentally, it can drain you when you're playing a lot of cricket through the, um, through the year. You've got the peaks and troughs of form, et cetera, that you've got to deal with. Yeah, so there, there is that. You've just got to come to terms with that, put to bed what has happened in the season um, and then make your plans going forward. And then it's like this gradual crescendo of anticipation from November to March, um, where by the time March comes around, you, you're really trying to make sure you're hitting your straps again. You know, one of the weird, weird things, that, while you were saying that, um, at the Bob Willis Trophy final this year, which was right towards the end of September at Lords, it was freezing cold. And I was on commentary with Vic Mark, and Vic has just retired from his role at The Guardian. And I sort of talked to him. I said to him, Winter, Vic, what are you going to do? Winter. And, you know, bless him. He said, oh, God, I haven't really dared think about it because I've not had a winter in England. And he tried to work it out. And it was like two in the previous 43 years. Basically, from the age of about 20, 21, he was either playing great cricket in Australia or he was touring with England or he was playing state cricket in Australia. Or once he'd become a journalist, he was following the England team everywhere. And so the reality, the, the, the strange reality hit him that when you leave cricket, when you retire from cricket, winters actually become a real thing. And he was like, he's like 62, 63 years old. And the reality of winter was finally was hitting him. That is the whole point of cricket. That's why we. I know the three of us chose it as a sport. Is that you do six <laughs> months following the sun in England, and as soon as it gets cold, yeah. you, you book a flight to Sri Lanka or the West Indies or South Africa, or Australia, and you go and watch it there. That was yeah, the bloody the plan point. until talk sport and COVID came to ruin it for me. Yeah, I know. I've tried explaining it to my to my, to my much better half, Pippa. That uh, think of all the holidays we're going to get to go on, but uh, I haven't convinced her just yet. Uh, now, whilst we were talking about that, we were joined by ex-England legend, the one and only Sarah Taylor. Hello, Sarah, and thank you very much for jumping on the call and, and politely sitting there quietly whilst Dan was waffling on about something. I never know what he's going on about. How are you, Sarah? Are you okay? I'm very well. I enjoyed that. That's absolutely spot on. You just chase the sun. That's it. That's <laughs> well, we were asking Finney about uh, about off-season and, uh, and basically how long he switched off from September before he actually started having one eye on the next season can you can you remember your sort of post season how long was your warm down period at the end of the season before you went I should probably start thinking about playing cricket again I reckon it was probably about there was always that awkward period where you knew fitness testing was coming up just before you went away like that kind of nodding, yeah. yeah it's the, the thing believe me um I reckon we probably got about two weeks to just relax and then we were off. There would have been a tour that we were going ready, getting ready for. We so every cake that you eat through October and every beer that you have through October, you just got one eye on the bloke with the calipers at Loughborough 
waiting for you as you come in. And, and it's like when he does his, I mean, he does your first one and they can always tell like from the first couple, whether you're a bit higher than you'd usually be. And the bloke could just say, Oh, had a good October. Did you? <laughs> well, yeah, I did actually. Yeah. <laughs> is, is Caliper man. Please tell me Caliper man is massively overweight. You know, because that, that's what I would do if I was yeah. for just to troll you all. No, I, you can't. I, I would you get can't very be. Comfortable. I'd get like Alex Stewart's brother Neil, and I'd get him to come at you with a set of calipers, smiling. <laughs> no, they're usually smug bastards, eh? Yeah, I bet. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they, they, it's not. It's, it's normally the way. Either it's a really fat bloke, or it's a guy who wears shorts no matter the temperature and is absolutely shredded and actually enjoys running and working out and things like that. Um, now, Sarah, thank you very much for joining us. So, at the time of the release of this podcast. It will have been announced that you are playing in the hundred for Welsh Fire. How are you feeling about that? Are you feeling about playing a bit of cricket? Yeah, I think I've got to get my body ready, but I will be good. <laughs> it will be uh, nice to kind of uh, blow the cobwebs off my pads and my gloves and then get back out there. But no, I'm looking forward to it. It should be really exciting. We've got a good little young team at Welsh Fire and some amazing um, international players. So uh, it should be good. And it'll be nice to spend some time in Wales because I actually haven't. Really well, the, the good thing about playing franchise cricket and not playing for England or, or county cricket is that there's no man with calipers in franchise cricket. So you can, <laughs> you, to your heart's content until the middle of July, just do whatever you like. I've got two Easter eggs literally behind uh, this camera. <laughs> um, and I'm not going to lie to you, I've eaten half of both. So, and I don't feel guilty at all. Wait. So rather than commit to one of the eggs, you've 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 opened two and gone half each. Half and half. Like, right. I'm gonna, I've got oh, a munchies one. Munchies, good choice. Mm. And my favourite, by far, favourite. Oh, oh a cream, cream egg. egg. Yeah, oh, that's 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 very strong. That's absolutely. Then, I don't feel bad. I don't feel no, bad. No, nor should you. No, nor should you. Is Not is this the the future for you, Sarah? Do you see yourself playing? A bit more around the world and, and becoming a bit of a franchise player or is it because this one's nice and close to the home? What do you reckon? Yeah, this one's just around the corner. Um, no, <laughs> to be fair, the coaching stuff is sort of kicking on for me. It was also, look, there's a young team in there. They've got a young keeper in there. Um, get to potentially put my foot in the door of, you know, the women's game, plus just enjoy the cricket. Um, there's kind of no pressure on it for me this mm. time. Um, i very happy with the career that I had. I don't feel like that's going to, that's not going anywhere. So I can then literally just have fun. And yeah, if I can do a little bit of coaching at the time, that'd be amazing. There's been a lot of chat around the hundred and traditional cricket fans have struggled with it. A lot of them, especially like the county fans because of what that's, what they feel the implications are to the men's county game. But for women, the the hundred is incredibly important competition is now. I mean, this is a real, this is what, what, you were really waiting for last season when the pandemic came in. It's different, isn't it, from, you know, previous T20 tournaments that have been set up? Yeah, exactly. Obviously, more money means that, you know, there's young girls out there that missed out last season on an income. Um, and that is huge for us. Um, we're just, you know, we want to keep professionalising the women's game, the domestic structure here. We want to keep pushing these young girls that are coming through that we tend to lose because, if they don't make it to an England standard, um, we ended up losing uh, a good bunch of, of players that unfortunately have to go off and earn a living. So this is this is huge for us. There's a lot of young girls in there that are getting paid to play cricket, which they wouldn't have dreamt of at all. So it's now a way to keep pushing the women's game. And yes, there will be their kind of sceptics and, and stuff like that. But actually, 
for the women's game and the setup. This is this is huge, really, um, and we really do hope it goes well for for women's stuff. I mean, the increase is is staggering, isn't it? It's from basically contracted England players, of which there would have been 16, 18, uh, now to well in excess of 40. It's not not, not as much as Australia yet, who I think they not reach 100 professional players, but it's that's moving in the right direction, isn't it? And that's the only way that England are going to be able to compete with Australia, who, let's face it, you know, they just won the 22nd consecutive one day internationally it's getting a bit daunting that we've, we've got to professionalize English women's cricket haven't we yeah we do like you I think the thing that they've got and that you can see is that their kind of pool of youngsters that come through they're almost ready they've they've been in the highlights of the, the big bash they've done everything that they can um in terms of all those scenarios that you probably try and put these girls under those tight scenarios in nets like they've done them during the games they are experienced players before they've even put on an australian shirt so um we want that here we would love to get that many professional players over here but you have to start somewhere and you know this is where we're starting and we're going to push on from here hopefully um, and get a lot more girls being professional in the long run hopefully yeah, and Dan mentioned it there, 22 wins in a row for the Australian women's ODI team, which begrudgingly we have to give some praise to, as much as it hurts me to ever say anything nice about Australian cricketers at all. Uh, but Meg Lanning is going to be in your side at the 100. I mean, I mean, she's a proper gun batsman. Must be exciting to, to play alongside her. Yeah, she's probably one of the reasons that I wanted to come back and play. I'm so fed up of playing against her that it's going to be nice to actually stand as a non-striker and, and watch her score runs for the team I'm currently playing in. So, um, yeah, no, she's a massive draw, a massive draw for people to come and watch as well. I, I don't think there was, when I was deciding on coming back to play, um, she was definitely a pull. That was, um, I obviously want to be kind of under her leadership. Um, Matthew Mott is a, the head coach as well, and he's obviously been extremely successful with the girls. So um, it'll be nice to kind of work under him as well and, and, you know, pick his brains on the coaching side of things as well. So, yeah, it should be good. And finally, on Sussex as well, you mentioned you're coaching alongside uh, Ian Salisbury and James Kirtley over there, which must be an amazing experience. Um, how's the team looking ahead of the new season? The guys are doing really well. Um, they've trained really, really hard. Obviously, you've not got the pre-season where you go overseas and, and stuff like that. But marquees seem to have kind of been built everywhere in this country uh, for the guys to train outside. So, um, they've put in a lot of hours. Um, they're very, very ready to go. They've, they've done. They've ticked off their warm-up games, and uh, we've got a nice, good round, balanced squad actually. Um, if I look at it, some youngsters um, and then some very experienced players. So um, I'm excited about this year. Very, very excited. I asked any of this about how every side now can win the county championship, and and is that has that really sort of helped the atmosphere at Sussex as well? Because you start the season the men's team, knowing they can win the, the county championship? Well, I think Sauls is the first one to put his hands up and say that he goes into every single game knowing that yeah, he wants to win. Um, there's no point in going into it otherwise. So the guys want to win. That is first and foremost. They want to win absolutely everything. Um, but they know they've obviously got to break it down. Like Finney will obviously break it down game by game and you've got to you know, do what you can. But yeah, it's a massive driver. You know, A lot of them are Sussex players for a very long time. So they want to do Sussex proud um, and given the fact that, you know, not many, well, no one could watch last year, um, they're hoping that at least some people might be able to watch some games this year and they want to play. They want to play in front of those crowds, obviously. That's why you play sometimes, isn't it? So, um, yes, they'll be looking to win absolutely everything. And hey, if they can win it all, why not? Uh, just, to, just to be clear, you're, you're able to play in the 100, presumably because the 100's happening when 
your coaching responsibilities are going to kind of take a back seat, aren't they? Because it's it, it, at that time of the season. So this is like a perfect scenario for you in a way. You can continue your coaching work with Sussex. You can go and play some with 100, learn the Welsh national anthem. Don't want to be John Redwood. Make sure you get it right. And, uh, and then you can, you'll rejoin Sussex presumably in September for the, for the championship push at the end of the season. Yeah, I mean, they were really, really good in terms of my contract of looking at my time. If anything, it works out perfectly with the, my school full-time job. How many jobs have you got? I, I haven't got any at the moment. You've got three. You're a hundred player. You're at a school <laughs> and you're a coach at Sussex. Here's me with my 10-hour working week on the radio. I feel pretty guilty here. I'm not going to lie. Oh, man. <laughs> so I, actually have, I actually have a full-time job at a school, um, which is coaching cricket and kind of helping the kids out from a kind of a sports site, mental health kind of point of view. And, um, and then I have my contract with Sussex. And uh, yeah, then I obviously have the hundred, and the pathway at Sussex actually was probably like four jobs. So it's four, four jobs, unlucky, right? yeah, four jobs Taylor. Oh, yeah. yeah, very busy. But, um, <laughs> no, it literally the hundred finishes, and then the first term, like the winter term, starts. So I just come from Wales and just go straight back into school. So yeah, busy, but. I'm exhausted. I'm exhausted. Oh, no, that, that, that. Dan's that, not that, done that much work in his life. It's un- it's unbelievable. <laughs> Very quickly before before we uh, before we wrap up the podcast, say goodbye to Sarah. But um, when if you do cross paths with Stephen Finn at any point this season, can you please have a word with your lot because he is trying to hit seven sixes this season, and if he does, me and Dan have to buy him a bottle of champagne. So nothing in his half, please. Everybody back out on the fence. I don't. If you dare let Stephen Finn clear clear the rope, that tiny little boundary at home, don't you? Please promise me, Sarah. Oh, there's oh, a bottle I, of champagne riding on this. I'm telling you right now, fly slip and a short uh, and, a, and a fine fine leg because yeah. you're gonna you're gonna wang it in at his head. He's gonna yeah. swing at it, top edge. It's going down there. Okay, I've, I've got him out for you now. Ex- yeah, I can't. I need to do this. No, 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 not at all. No, you don't. No. You're a coach, aren't you? We're giving you inside info. Yeah. We can do it, but, you know, we can still win. Tell, tell, <laughs> tell, tell Joffre Finney has been slagging him off like you wouldn't believe and, uh, and get Joffre really fired up and put everybody out on the hook and make sure Finney doesn't clear that rope at home, whatever happens. Okay, I mean, so. it takes a lot to get Joff fired up, let's be honest. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> I'll, try. I'll try something, anything. But Thank I'm, you, so. Good luck, Finney. I hope you do that. <laughs> no, I think just gentle part-time off-spin, I think, will be, uh, will be fine for me. That, that, that's all I need bold at me. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, give one, give, give one of the young up-and-coming up spinners a, a game when Finney's in. Uh, Sarah, thank you so much for joining us. Best of luck with the season with Sussex. Best of luck with the 500 jobs you've got going at the minute. And, uh, and we'll be rooting for you during the 100 as well. But we're very much looking forward to seeing you back in action. So thank you so much for popping in. Awesome. Thanks, guys. Thanks very much. Cheers, Sarah. Enjoy Cheers, the rest Sarah. of your Easter eggs. Have a good one. Bye. Bye. And that is the end of our podcast as well. But how nice to have Sarah Taylor pop in as well. Our third guest at the, at the time of counting is that Harry Gurney, Chris Chemlet, now Sarah Taylor. Uh, so cool to have these names popping up in the podcast, which is awesome. I mean, I should mention as well, I didn't give her a proper introduction, but I mean, we're talking double World Cup winner here and T20 World Cup winner. Proper, proper legend, 10 task matches, 126 ODIs, 90-2020 internationals. Uh, one of the best to ever pull on that England shirt. So very, very cool to have Sarah Taylor here. Finney, good luck with your first game of the season and uh, and get that left leg out of the way, boy. I want that. I want those sixes. Where do you reckon you'll be batting? I don't know. Well, I, I don't know if I'll be playing first and foremost. I'm in the squad, the squad of 13. So we'll wait and see if I'm playing or not. I don't know, but... 
Uh, if I were to play, I'd say I'd bat above Tim Murta and probably not ahead of Toby Roland Jones. So 10. This is okay. a good one to miss, though, Finney. This is a good one to miss. It's going to get a little bit warmer later on. You don't want to yeah, play exactly, the first yeah. round. Possibly no, not even the I second round. I think I'd shatter into a million pieces playing in one degree. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, well, Finney, if you do, play good luck with it. And uh, if not, enjoy, enjoy your week off. Chaps, I will speak to you next Monday. Have a good one. Cheers. Bye-bye. Cheers. Podcast Network.